Well, good morning. Welcome to Parkwood this morning. I hope you got your Bibles with you and you turn with me to Psalm 96. Psalms 96. And I, I hope you're thinking, you're probably thinking, what happened to 2 Peter? Um, we're, we're, gonna, we're just taking a one-week break from 2 Peter. We'll pick back up 2 Peter next week. And you say, well, why are you doing that? Remember, we are a, a multi-campus church. And so we worship at multiple places uh, and we stay in sync. And so we we preach the same sermon, and our growth group lessons run with that. And so sometimes it's, it's important for us to slow down and speed up to stay in sync with each other. That's what we're doing. Um, but God knows what he's doing this morning by giving us Psalms 96. And um, we've had an unfair advantage of most of, you, of most of you because we've already got to sing these praises and worship the Lord one time already. And so we get to do it twice today. And so we're, we're having a good time. I hope, I hope you will enjoy God's word this morning. I want, you to, I want to set Psalms in context, though. Um, this is a rare, a, a very often when we read the Psalms, we, we have to go back somewhere in Chronicles or to understand the context, and here we can understand it. And so the context this morning directly is that the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back into Jerusalem. There's a, a tabernacle or a tent that's been prepared, and so it's they're bringing it and setting it in the tabernacle. And, and so the, the context, the, the room is full of celebration and worship. This has not been the case. For more than 20 years before this, the ark resided in a person's home, the house of Abinadab, for 20 years. During the, during the latter reigns of Saul's reign, and David has spent his time during that time running for his life. Unable to gather in worship with God's people. But in God's sovereignty, God gave David the kingdom as he had promised him. And so, you remember 1 Chronicles 13, David sins for the ark. They took no mind, have you, of what God's word said. And so they put the ark on a cart. You remember this? This was the incident with Uzzah. Whereas they brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, the animals stumbled, the cart teetered a little bit, and Uzzah reached down to steady the Ark, and God struck him dead. It so impacts David, the Ark ends up staying at the house of Obed for months after this. As David prepares his own house, he prepares a tabernacle. And in 1 Chronicles 15, 13, we have this very important passage to where, to where David tells his men, go back to the book. We need to read the law of Moses. We need to see how we must handle the ark and we must obey God. And so in fear and obedience, they put poles in the ark and they carried it as God had instructed them. And as they brought the ark into Jerusalem. There was singing. There was dancing. And David stands up and he reads Psalms. He sings Psalms 96. So let's stand together as we read what David would have been singing. Psalms 96, beginning in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. 
Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nation, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. So Lord, as we bring Your Word to our minds and have the clear context that David had trusted Your promises for years and had spent most of his life running from his life, running for his life from Saul and those who would wish to kill him, and your, but your will prevailed. So Lord, we thank you for your promises this morning. Because there was a time where we could not and we did not want to worship you. Lord, we did not make you God. You are God. But Lord, we thank you. That you did not leave us to ourselves. But you invaded our life with your amazing grace. And you have given us a new song this morning. Lord, I pray that we would sing it. Sing it to the nations. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking in Second Peter about Christian calling. Our calling as Christians and, and how that calling necessarily produces something in our life. It produces Christ-likeness, produces Christian living, a life that reflects our Savior. And we've, we've talked about that these are inseparable links of the chain. You can't have one without the other. You can't have a Christian calling and make a profession for Christ, then your life not produce Christ-likeness. If, if that's true in your life, you've got to hit the pause button and look. Something's wrong. There's another link to the chain this morning that God is showing us in Psalms 96. It is the Christian mission. Another inseparable link. We are just not living in isolation. God has given us a mission. That, mean, that word mission, when you hear mission, you hear sent. That's what it means. It means sent. Well, where am I sent? To where am I sent? To whom am I sent? What is the church's mission? And by this I mean, as an institution, as the church gathered collectively together, what is our mission? Because we as Christians live for the glory of God. And it could look like all manner of things. It looks like 
what, how we respond as we're going down the road and someone is in need with a flat tire or in the cash register. It, it involves how we, how we tip here in just a minute when we go to eat. It involves all kinds of things. But what is our mission as a gathered group of believers? What was Jesus' mission? As we think about his life and reflect, it looked like two primary things. It looked like proclaiming and it looked like investing. So as John the Baptist came, remember he came doing what? Saying, repent, kingdom of God is at hand. Messiah is coming. And then he, Jesus steps into time and space. And he comes, what does he come saying? Repent and believe. Kingdom of God is here. Not only that, what did he spend most of his time doing? Investing in the life of 12 men. And he sends them. And you remember when Jesus comes to the end of his time in Matthew 28, in verse 18, he says this, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so he clearly gives his people his mission. I love this definition from Kevin DeYoung when he articulates the mission of the church. He says, The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, gathering His disciples into churches that they may worship and obey Jesus now and into eternity to the glory of the Father. This is a very clear mission. I want you, to, as, as your, if you're growth group leader here, write that down. Talk to your growth group about that. I hope you're part of a growth group. There's a lot to discuss today in the, in the message. You see, David understood two things in his psalm. That Yahweh, the Lord, was meant not to be kept, but to be declared. Had to be declared. And at the same time, He's saying this, God's people must gather together and worship Him. This is the heart of every church planner, and it is the heart of the mission of God. God's message, God's person, His work, and His wonder, and His salvation must be declared, and God's people must gather together and worship Him. So the mission of God seeks the glory of God. Through the worship of God as we proclaim the kingdom of God to the nations. Let me say that again. The mission of God seeks the glory of God through the worship of God as we proclaim the kingdom of God to the nations. So the mission of God seeks first the glory of God. I wish you could see my notes. The way I lined my scripture up as I was studying this week was in line with the imperatives. There are 12 imperatives in this psalm. He's not asking people if they want to do this. He's giving them a command. This is imperative. You must do this. So look at verses 1 to 3. I've lined them up in, in here to help me think about this. Listen to this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. Declare His marvelous work among all peoples. Do you see His very clear point? 
God's glory must be declared. No, your life is not sufficient. We must declare it. This is how we glorify Him. We glorify Him with our mouth. Turn with me to Luke 4. Luke 4. Let's see what Christ did. What was, as we've already alluded to, what is Christ's mission? Let's see this play out, Luke 4, 18. Luke 4, 18. This is Jesus standing in the synagogue. He's reading the Bible here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendants and sat down and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So don't misunderstand me this morning. Christ was the most compassionate, the most caring person who ever lived. He was perfect. But Christ had a mission. God had sent Him on a mission and And repetition in the Bible is your highlighter. It is God's sovereign means of telling us this is important. And in this passage, there's three three times one word is repeated. What is that word? Proclaim. All of Christ's compassionate, loving, caring, healing, raising people from the dead, all of this is to corroborate His message. Christ came declaring there is a kingdom. He came declaring the salvation and the glory and the works of God. And then He died to provide that salvation by the sacrifice of Himself. And so we see what Jesus' mission was in its primary central. It was a declaration. John 20, 21 says... Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And so when we understand clearly this mandate of declaration, this the means of how we glorify, our mission becomes more clear. And here in verse 1 it says, sing a new song. In other words, the morning time is over. You see, singing is this universal expression. It expresses our love. It expresses our joy. It expresses what we're passionate about. And so I ask you, just try it on the way home. Turn on your radio. And you tell me what the world is passionate about. And there is not one of us who haven't bought into it at some point in our lives. You know what the God of the day is? It is relationships. Turn on the radio. What's going to fix your problems? What's going to make you happy? What's going to make you sing? It was the same in the 80s. Every once in a while I fall back into that and turn on some of those 80s. You know what I'm talking about. That 80s music. What is it talking about? That everything's going to be alright. As long as we have the right person by our side. It is the God of the day. This is just our objective reality. We sing what we're passionate about. So David has said, we're going to sing about the Lord. 
That's what we are going to sing about. We're going to gather together. We're going to sing about Yahweh. What are we singing about? We're singing about His name. We're going to sing about His salvation, His glory, His works. This is our worship strategy, right? It's not to be trendy. Goodness gracious, don't let me sing about me. (laughs) We'll sing about God. Verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless His name. The Lord, Yahweh, is repeated three times here. His name, His fame, His character, His revealed word, His will, His authority are all meant for His people to be delighted in. And when we delight it, we declare it. Acts 4 verse 12 ties in these two realities of His name and our salvation. Acts 4.12, Peter says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so David says, bless his name, tell of his salvation. You see, salvation is the clearest revelation of God. Revelation of God. Remember last week, said God makes us with our cup. It's too small. That if we worship him as we should, We can't help for our cup to run over. And what you're saying is, what does it run over? What runs over into other people's life is Yahweh, is the Lord. Jesus said, I am Yahweh. Tell of His salvation. Our words, our deeds, our songs, our sermons are centered around We serve a God that saves, and He didn't have to. He saves. Find a gathering where God's Word is not central, and you can count on two things not being there. Kingdom joy and kingdom declaration. God's Word is central because it declares His glory, and it declares His works. Verse 3. We are to declare His glory. We are to declare His marvelous works. His salvation is His glory. The fact that our God is a God that not only creates, but a God that gets into time and space with His people. Personal. His wonders have been revealed both generally in creation and especially in the person of Christ. It is Him how we can sing the love and the wisdom and the grace and the power of God. His revealed Word tells us of His wonders. So how do we do it? How do we declare it? How do we declare His glory? How do we declare His works? Verse 7 to 9. Lining up the imperatives again. Verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering Come into His courts, worship the Lord, tremble before Him. Do you see? All of those are imperatives. What's repeated there in verse 7 and 9? What's the repeated word? Ascribe. That's your highlighter word. That's important. So how do we declare we ascribe? What does it mean to ascribe? It means to give. It means to beckon for someone to come on. Come on, that's just what he's saying, ascribe. Give it to him, why? Because he's due all the glory. That's why we want people, that's why we cannot not gather with God's people. We must glorify him. 
And we love to glorify Him together. How do I, as a still, a sinful person, a person who sins regularly, how do I give God glory and strength and beauty? If God is omnipotent, if He's omnipresent, if He's omnibenevolent, how can I give Him anything? And yet we're told, give God glory, give Him strength, give Him beauty. We give it to Him, like has already told us, He would give it to Him when we sing it back to Him. We declare it. We declare who He is. We don't declare who we are. If we do, we'd, we caveat that, but we are in Christ. All my boasting, if I have any, is because I am in Him. We declare Him. And when we, we must declare it to Him and we declare it to others. This is how we give God glory. It would be, it is impossible for a believer to see something as wondrous as an eclipse and not to ascribe that to God alone. It is impossible. How sad it is. The saddest, most frustrating reality is to see wonder and have no one to thank for it. We give Him glory when we see wonders. We say, that's God. And you say, well, Stephen, it seems to be you're saying God's mission is to bring glory to Himself. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. You're saying, is that, isn't that a little arrogant? I mean, is God so insecure and so egotistical that He needs our worship? Some people wonder, why do we quote? You, you quote people when you can't say it any better than them, and so you quote people. I can't say it any better than John Piper. Listen to this. Things are forbidden to us that are not forbidden to God, precisely because we are not God and He is. The reason we are not to exalt our own glory but God's is because He is God and we are not. For God to be faithful to this same principle means that He too would exalt not our glory but His. The unifying principle is not don't exalt your own glory. The unifying principle is exalt the glory of what is infinitely glorious. For us, that means exalt God. And for God, that means exalt God. For us, it means don't seek your own glory. For God, it means do seek your own glory. So yes, the mission of God is to glorify Himself. And so that is the mission of the church. And so we see, sing a new song. Sing a new song. And, and yet, this is my thought. It's one of the songs that we... Sung today was a song that Micah wrote. Micah loves to write songs. God's given him the gift to do that. And imagine he sits down and I'm looking at these lyrics. I'm sitting there going, brother, this is the same message we always sing. Gospel, salvation, God's glory, God's work. How is it new? You see, the mission of God seeks the glory of God through the worship of God. I want you to see this very clear this morning. Just, well, what have we already said? The Lord commands proclamation. And so he divides this hymn into three sections. Verses 1 to 6, verses 7 to 9, and verses 10 to 13. Three sections in this hymn. Look at the first section, 1 to 6. What are the imperatives? Sing, declare, fear, and ascribe. Look at the second section. What did we say? 
verse 7 to 9, the second section of this hymn. Ascribe, bring, worship, tremble. The third section, say. You see, the song is new when we give it to those who've never heard it. It's a new song. It's a new song when we declare the gospel to someone who hasn't heard it. This is the context of what he's singing. Look at this. In every section, the word Gentile is used. When you hear Gentile, you need to hear the word nations, ethnos. Look at this section, verses 1. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 3, declare His glory among the nations. Declare His marvelous works among who? All the peoples. He is to be feared, verse 4, above all gods. Where are the false gods? They are in the nations. In the second section, verses 7 to 9 and verse 7, it says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples. He's literally saying, come on peoples, worship the Lord. Verse 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The peoples tremble before Him, all the earth. They must fear Him. Here's what he's saying. This thing is a heart of David, the heart of God. The nations can enter into God's presence and worship Him. So come on! This is the heart of the psalm. This is why they call it the missionary hymn. Verse 10 Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Turn with me to Romans 15. Romans 15. Verse 8. I want you to see this. This is beautiful. When you, when you hear Gentiles, think of nations. Romans 15, 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Verse 10, and again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul, you see what Paul's doing at the end of verse 9 and the rest of that text. What is he doing? He's simply reading the Old Testament. He's saying this was the mission all along that the nations worship him. Why? Because he deserves their worship. What's the problem? That there are nations, there are people groups that can't worship. They are unreached. What does it mean to be an unreached people group? It means that they're the less than 2% evangelical Christian. There are 6,992 approximate people groups that are unreached. 3,147,283,000 souls. And God deserves their worship. 
So what's the problem? Romans 10. Romans 10. How? How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord, Lord, who has believed that he has heard from us. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Do you see the mission, church? The mission of God seeks the glory of God through the worship of God as we proclaim the kingdom of God to the nations. The mission of God declares not only His glory through our worship, but it also declares the reign of God. Look at verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. As we go and proclaim, we are telling them that there is a kingdom who has a king and he sovereignly reigns. And therefore, in verse 4 and 5, their gods are worthless. That means they're useless. They can't do nothing. They produce nothing. They help with nothing. And brothers and sisters, we will not join him on his mission till we declare the God of materialism as worthless as it is. It is a chasing of the wind, and it robs us of our mission. We declare God, our God, there's gods are useless. There's one God. We declare the splendor and majesty. Look at verses 6 and 7. Look at these descriptions of God. These are kingly descriptions. This is the descriptions of a king. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Only in the person of God. Do you see rugged, omnipotent power in elegant beauty? Little sidebar here. Men and women, whatever you have to do to make your relationship grow in Christ, do it. Because when we do, our marriage reflects this beautiful tension of God, of both strength and beauty. This is what we are about, declaring Him. And so, what do we do? What do we say? Acts 17, 22, Paul finds himself amongst a bunch of idol-worshiping pagans. What does he do? What does he say? Acts 17, verse 24. He engages them this way. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temple made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26, and he made from them one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods of their boundaries of their dwelling places. Do you see that? He's in charge. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is not actually far from each one of us, verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed are his offspring. 
Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or the imagination of man. Here's the gospel, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He says that man that's going to judge is Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. And you need to repent because judgment is coming. This is the message we bring to the nations. Creation, the Lord reigns and all creation declares he reigns. The creation has no problem declaring his lordship. You see, that was the problem with Uzzah. Uzzah thought there was something dirty about the dirt. You know, what does the dirt do? It just does what God declares it to do. It's never had one day where it doesn't bring glory to God. Creation, all of creation, finds its ultimate fulfillment in its creator. Declares his kingdom and what else is, are we supposed to declare? The Lord is coming. He's coming to judge. Look at verse 10 and verse 13. Verse 10 says, He will judge people with equity. He will judge the world in righteousness and His peoples in faithfulness. That means when He comes, His judgment will be based on His own character, on His own righteousness, and as in, on, his own faith, on His own faithfulness. No favoritism. No distinction. And listen, no boundaries. There's no boundaries to this judgment. He will come, and when He does, He will judge all peoples. We go and we declare, because all peoples will stand before the judge of all the earth. Don't miss the point in our kingdom declaration. No person makes Jesus king. God's kingdom is here. And God's kingdom is coming. And one day it's going to come in its fullness. God's kingdom is not a falling down where we need to tack it back up. No, no, we invite people to enter into His kingdom. We do not make Jesus Lord. We submit to His Lordship. This is what we declare. We bow to the King. This is what we declare. We submit And so hear me today, I'm, I'm done. But listen to me. Jesus Christ came, He took on flesh, and He lived a perfect life, and He died an atoning death, and He rose three days later, and God gave to Him His rule and reign, His kingdom. And He hands to you and to me the keys of the kingdom. Say, what? Me? What does the Bible say the keys of the kingdom are? It is the gospel. The mission of the church is to desire that all men worship and glorify God. That we gather together to make much of Him. But they must be given the gospel. This is the keys that they can enter into a finished work. And have rest for their souls. This is the beauty of the gospel. The growth group leaders. If you got a pen in your hand. Write this down. I want you all to discuss this in your growth groups. 
Is it actually possible to do great humanitarian work? Is it actually possible to do great benevolent work in a community or in a people group and not obey the mission of God? How do we guarantee that our mission of this church is the mission of God? Let me read that again. Is it actually possible to do great humanitarian or benevolent work in a community or a people group and not obey the mission of God? How do we guarantee that our mission of this church is the mission of God? As we close, in 1933, America was in the throes of the Great Depression. It was also at the height of liberalism. Someone asked J. Gresham Macon this question. In the midst of this depression and all this hurting and pain, what is the responsibility of the church in this age? Listen to his response. The responsibility of the church in the new age is the same as its responsibility in every age. It is to testify that this world is lost in sin. That the span of human life, no, all the length of human history is an infinitesimal island in the awful depths of eternity. That there is a mysterious, holy, living God, creator of all, upholder of all, infinite beyond all, that He has revealed Himself to us in His Word and offered us communion with Himself through Jesus Christ our Lord. That there is no, no other salvation for individuals or for nations save this, but that this salvation is full and free and that whoever possesses it, it has for himself and for all others to whom he may be the instrument of bringing it a treasure compared with which all the kingdoms of the earth know all the wonders of the starry heavens are as the dust of the street. An unpopular message it is. An impractical message we are told. But it is the message of the Christian church. Neglect it and you will have destruction. Heed it and you will have life. Have you heeded it? Are you a true worshiper? And if you have not heeded it, and if you cannot worship, I urge you right now to repent and believe. I urge you now as brothers and sisters of those who have been saved and been redeemed, I invite you to the table. Let's pray. So God, as we now come as an expression of our worship, we come to the table. You told us to remember. Remember your work. Remember what you've done. So Lord, now, we thank you for the privilege, the privilege of remembering. So, brothers and sisters, who can come to the table? We practice open communion here. All those that are in Christ can come to the table, but Parents, this is not a time to train your children by letting them partake. It is a time to train them by letting them watch and talking to them about what it means. And so 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven gives us our own as a moment when it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup 
of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of our Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So we come with fear and respect to the table. How do we prepare ourselves? 1 John 1, 5 says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, listen. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, let us prepare ourselves and let us repent of our sins because the blood of Christ is work forgives us.